Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated, make sure you have something to write on and write with, because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Candy Kay Can. We're so excited to be talking with Candy Can today, aren't we, Takia? We're thrilled. Candy, thank you so much for making time to be with us. I'm so glad to be here with you all. So Candy- it's so cool to have you with us. We really are, and we're so grateful for you making time to be with us today. So thanks so much. Oh, of course. I'm so glad to be with you all because I learned so much from you this summer with Black Academic Bootcamp. Well, don't we love that? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about true. what brought you, you know, I guess what brought you into academia and then I guess even what brought you to the bootcamp, which we're now calling the Brain Trust, right? So tell us a bit about your academic training, what you do, how you got to it, some of your journey. Sure. So um, I knew when I was 19 that I wanted to be a religion scholar, a religion professor. I took a class with Mary Louise Bringle, and um, she studied women and religion. And this particular course was on um, food. It was called Feast and Fasting. And I fell in love with the course. And I did a really cool study of the intersection of food and morale on the battlefield. And uh, after that, I then went to China and I worked for a few years for the church. And then I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa and received my master's degree in Asian religions. And there I took a course called um, Death and Dying in Buddhist Cultures. And it was a six-week multi-sensory cultural experience Every week we met at a different Buddhist temple around the island. And um, at each temple, we would listen to the funerary chants of that particular Buddhist sect. And we would eat a vegetarian meal from that culture. So it was like Japanese food one week, Chinese food the next week, Tibetan food the next week, Vietnamese food the next week. It was truly like a course that inhabited all of my senses. And I loved that course. It was death and dying. And we read all the major texts and we listened to these beautiful funerary chants and we ate the food. And from that moment on, I was hooked and I wanted to not just be a religion scholar, but I wanted to actually study death and dying in religion. So then I went on to my PhD at Harvard and got my degree in comparative religions looking at the martyrological tradition and the way that people are remembered and memorialized and the way that the church kind of operates to help give meaning to death. Um, And then from there, I became interested in the kind of popular construction of memorialization, um, looking at 
not just to become officially recognized and sanctioned as martyrs or saints, but looking at how with the advent of social media, people themselves give meaning and construct meaning out of death and then how people remember the dead and how they honor the dead and then kind of looking at these popular memorialization traditions. So that's the the real story of how I got to where I am today. I so love that because, you know, it makes me think about how so many of us are teachers and, you know, you just never know when you teach a course, if it's going to land, if you're just going to drag these students through it, if someone's going to be inspired, but like, this is the reason why we do it, right? With the hopes that some students say the light comes on and they're like, yes, I love this. And so I love how you can name the people and name the classes and how it impacted you. Yeah, and Mel Bringle, that's what she goes by now. She actually became a uh, really famous hymnist. I don't know what you call that, but she writes hymns for the Christian church. And so I was worshiping one day in uh, church and we sang a song by her. And I was like, no way, that's so cool. So I wrote her a- an email like, you know, 20 years later, like, hi, it's me. And we sing your song today. And and so, yeah, I just thanked her. I mean, it made me realize I had a moment to go back and, and thank her for inspiring me. And um, so that was kind of cool. That's so wonderful. Um, you know, you do your work, you put it out in the world, you don't know how it's going to impact people. And so I really appreciate you for lifting up the people who impacted you so beautifully on your journey. So let's just take a quarter turn and talk to us a little bit, Candy, about your business and let us know a, a, a taste of how you got there. How did you go from being erudite religion scholar to erudite religion scholar who is also an entrepreneur? That's a great question, Takia. And really, it was you and Monica that helped me kind of think bigger about um, how do I turn these opportunities that my scholarship and academia have provided for me. And um, I was invited to speak for a nonprofit event in um, Arizona. And uh, they said, what's your speaking fee? <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I didn't say that. I was like, I'll get back to you. But I had no clue. And I happened to be friends with Monica on Facebook um, through a single parent academic group that we were both a part of. And Monica has been phenomenal in kind of forging these professional trails, if you will, as an academic. And I've always just kind of watched her on the side and been like, wow, I want to be like her. Basically, I want to be Monica when I grow up. And so I was like, I'm going to text her and we'll see if she responds. So I reached out to her for advice and um, she said, hey, I if you have a moment, let's chat. And so she called me and spent, I think, like an hour or something and just gave me some great advice and told me you know, the way to break down how I should charge, I should think about all of the schooling that I've invested, all the time that I've invested, that it's not just an hour talk, it's an hour talk based on 12 years of education and training. It's an hour talk that should be broken down in terms of I, you know, get paid so much per year, and how many hours am I actually public facing. And so that looks like a lot more than just, you know, the hour, one hour, right? And so 
it was honestly Takia, Monica, you guys that really kind of made me think bigger and next steps. But Monica specifically helped me kind of brainstorm how I should frame myself and what I should ask for. And so I had a number in mind. Um, and I'll just be transparent here. I think I was going to say 1500. Monica was like, no, you're worth double that. So I said 3000 and they came back and they were like, we'll give you five. And I was like, awesome. And so that was the first time I'd ever received such a big speaking fee. And I really thought that was amazing. And then on top of that, they connected me to a local spa in the area, Canyon Ranch. And so they said, well, you can also speak at this spa and they'll give you $500 of, you know, spa services and you can stay for three days. And and so I was like, wow, this is like the best thing ever because I'm not just getting paid and recognized for my work, but I'm also getting a respite. I was like, oh yeah, I, I've got to keep doing that. <laughs> I've got to keep getting advice from her. So, so yeah. And so my business now is, is Death Scholar LLC. And it's really about um, giving speeches um, and giving talks and um, just kind of being a, a, a public-facing scholar, an expert scholar who who gives talks. And um, then also I've gotten a lot more media interface since I've done AB3. Um, I think partly because I branded myself and being an AB3 you all encouraged us to create a logo. And um, and so that really helped because I also, before my website was, um, my website was just my name, which is great, but not everyone remembers it. It's also spelled differently. So I I realized, oh, I should probably rebrand the website so that it's more identifiable. So I changed it from www.candykcan.com to www.deskscholar.com, which is a lot more rememberable. It's a lot easier. And it's just more generic because if people type in death and scholar or something, uh, they'll see my website pop up. So got lots of great advice in AB3 that really kind of helped me move to the next stage. First of all, I did not quite realize you had the spa day that came along with that speaking engagement. How cool is that? It was so cool. And this is a thing like, you know, you can leverage the speaking engagements into more than just money. I mean, because there are spas around the country. Um, So like you guys with your focus on entrepreneurship, I mean, I'm sure that there are many spas around the country that would love to host you. And then in return, they give you days and they give you credit for spa services. Yeah. So and there's cruises. Cruises do that as well. So this is the other thing is it's. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, but I I can definitely see you guys doing like Black Academic Cruise or like Spa Weekend. You are so speaking Takiya's language. I'm laughing because uh, I love everything about that. That is entirely ringing my bells. My desire for luxury, beauty, aesthetics, massage. Yes, it has changed for what we already love doing, which is helping people breathe life into their businesses. Yes, more please. I'm telling the universe right now. Yes, more please. <laughs> right? I can totally see you all doing that. Like, and it would be so popular. Well, one of the things that, you know, we do in AB3 is we talk about being values led. Can you share with us some of the values that 
undergird the work that you're doing in your business in particular? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, anyone who gets interested in death, dying and grief usually does so because they've had some kind of personal experience with it. And so that's the first thing that I always remember when someone reaches out to me. Um, usually is because they have developed an interest in the subject in part because most likely they haven't found an outlet within everyday society to kind of work through some of their feelings surrounding death and grief. And so I always, I really believe that that's important to remember. And, and for me, it's about opening this conversation around death and dying and grief. It's about helping people to be better prepared Everyone who is born will one day die. We need to get our affairs in order. It's a gift that you give to your family and to your loved ones. When you have your affairs in order, you're saving them time. You're saving them decisions. You're helping um, them move forward in their next steps and you're guiding them. And essentially, you're holding their hand through a very difficult process so that they can focus on their own grief and their own feelings and emotions surrounding this event. So I really am a huge proponent of opening the conversation to get people to really focus on taking these steps. They're scary. And, and you know, there's a lot of superstition around it. I had uh, someone last week tell me she always avoided getting her affairs in order because she thought somehow if she got her affairs in order that she would then die. Like she would put that out in the universe. So I think these are real fears, but I tried to explain to her, it's not getting prepared so that you're going to die. It's giving a gift to your family and letting them know how much you love them because you've made that space for them to deal with their own feelings instead of having to deal with all these leftovers that you didn't want to deal with. So um, those are probably my core values. And then I also really care about... um, shifting the conversation on marginalized communities, on minoritized bodies. Um, And I really want to look at intersections of death, dying, and grief uh, for people of color, for um, disabled bodies. I just feel like there's not enough conversation around those topics. Um, And so that's something I'm also passionate about, just kind of opening these conversations and having the hard conversations as a gesture of love and care. That's really um, beautiful. And I appreciate you for being so forthright and vulnerable with being honest with people about the values that undergird your business. You know, one of the things that I know sets apart the work that Monica and I do together is that we encourage people to lead from their values. Um, We encourage people to start there. We don't start with business offerings. We don't start with pretty colors. We don't start with, you know, those brand elements, which are fun and exciting, but that it really comes out of this belief that if you're building something that's in alignment with your deepest values, then you will grow with it as it grows and changes. Um, You'll continue to bring your best self to it. Um, And that it's something that can allow you a healthy and healthful outlet for your leadership skill set and abilities, which is really wonderful. Um, I wanted to ask then as a follow-up, you know, do you think you chose your business or did your business choose you? 
you know, if you can pinpoint for us really when and why you decided to build your business, or if you feel like you sort of fell into it, or is this a part of a calling? That's a great question, Takia. I I definitely think it for me is part of a calling, um, namely because so many people uh, in the United States, for example, less than half of all people have a will. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> we shouldn't all have a will. Um, but I do feel in many ways that it chose me and it was part, you know, my, I had a lot of death in my family. So my mom died and then my stepfather died and then my grandparents died and then my brother died and then my best friend died. And it just felt kind of like this ongoing, just onslaught of death. And I, I, I struggled with a way to make sense of all of these deaths in my life while also holding down a job and being a mom and being a friend and a caregiver. So um, I think part of it was just realizing that I made people uncomfortable when I tried to talk about these things. And so I wanted to open up a space where other people could talk and where other people could process their feelings and to understand that they weren't alone so I really do feel like it's been a calling. It's not the calling I would have chosen. I mean, I, you know, I just, I love world religions and I love, you know, just learning new things. And so, um, yeah, I joke about the fact that I don't always lead with the fact that I'm a death scholar because um, it does scare people away uh, sometimes, but I think that's the problem, right? It shouldn't. It, this is something that will happen to everyone. I mean, so it's it's not something we can avoid. No one gets to opt out of this. And so it's really strange to me that we don't have these conversations, that they aren't a part of our everyday world, because it is universal. This is truly a universal experience that we will all have. And so, um, yeah, I, I feel like I was called to do this. And um I just want to try and make this process a little bit easier for other people and to make help people not feel alone. Um, as for the business part, I think it was just being in conversation with other amazing scholars like you guys who just really helped me be inspired that there was more to my calling than just the classroom, that actually doing scholarship should be public facing. I'm not supposed to be locked away in an ivory tower. I'm not supposed to just publish in really academic books that this message is bigger than me. And um, yeah, so I think having you all kind of uh, inspire me has helped me to see that I do want this message to be universal is it and, and just it's, it's public facing and it needs to be in the public, I guess. You know, I, I just love hearing that because clearly I, I totally agree with you and also have a bit of a, you know, passion about people getting their affairs in order because my mom did such a great job with that for me, as I've often talked about. Um, but how great it is about sharing your knowledge outside of the classroom. And I think that's what drives many of us is like we know these things and then we're teaching like these 30 people, right, <laughs> or these 15 people, depending on the size of your classroom, something that we think is exciting and amazing and important. Um, so you mentioned, you know, you still have a full time job. 
job in the academy. You have a life outside of even that. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, I don't know if I say balance because I hate the word balance, you manage, right? To to keep that foot in the academy and then to do the other things that you're you're doing and pulling off with grace and aplomb. <laughs> At least oh, it looks like it from here. Um, yeah, I think, I think one of the things I realized when you, you're right about the whole balancing, right? I think I just realized these are the important things that I want to focus on. And I also realized that I had to prioritize those. So at times I've been okay with the one thing I'm not okay with being is less than a great mom. So that's my first priority is my daughter. And I put her first and and I've been very clear about that with, um, with my job. And the cool thing about, you know, giving these talks is I've gotten to bring her along on a lot of now she's not interested. So I'm not as cool anymore, but uh, she's a teenager. So, uh, but yeah, so the really great thing though, is that as I've given these talks, I've been able to bring her along on many of them and she's been able to have adventures. And so that's the way I framed it as a way to kind of be able to do both. Also, she's gotten to have adventures I couldn't afford on my own as a single parent. So I think that's been a really big benefit for me. Um, but that's probably my biggest um, priority is making sure that at the end of the day, I have zero regrets as a parent. And so after that um, comes my jobby job, right, where I have you know certain metrics that I have to hit and certain things that I need to fulfill. Um, and I, you know, at times I've had to take a look at that and really think about what would bother me if I wasn't able to do it? So you can't do everything, right? And that really is important. Um, but I've also come to realize over the years that we have to prioritize ourselves and self-care. And, and that looks like getting enough exercise and eating well and sleeping enough. And if I could change anything, it would be the fact that I need 10 hours of sleep a day. It's it's I absolutely need 10 hours of sleep a day. And and but that is just how I function. And now that I do that and I prioritize that, I'm able to um stay healthy and not get sick as much. So I think part of it is just realizing what you really need, whether you like it or not. Again, I wish I could do six hours of sleep because there's so much I would do with that other four hours, but uh, that's just not me. And <laughs> that would be unrealistic. And then in terms of the talks, it's been knowing my value, knowing what I'm not willing to. Uh, I mean, I had a colleague ask me to give a talk on a major holiday and for three hours, unpaid. And I just was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, like, why would I do that? One, it doesn't prioritize my family. Two, it's not giving me my worth. And three, no, like, if you're not even recognizing my value from the get go, I can't say yes to that. So I think, you know, again, knowing your worth and knowing your value and understanding that um, there's only so many balls that we can keep in the air at one time and knowing which balls we don't want to drop. I think that's the most crucial part. No, I really appreciate the push towards managing as opposed to balance. You know, as a dance studies person, I'm always reminded that, you know, a dancer's body can look balanced, but it's an illusion. You know, the balance is often associated with stillness. And we know that really the body is making thousands of tiny micro adjustments to maintain that illusion. And I think about all the micro adjustments we make in a day 
to manage work and life and parenting and our own health and our businesses. So I, I just am so grateful to you for being transparent about what is probably more like spinning plates or a juggling act <laughs> right. than, than anything else. Well, t- thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate you for making the time. Where can people find you and learn more about your business and what you offer and what you do? How can the people find you out on the internet streets, Candy? So you can check out my website, which is deskscholar.com. And uh, I have a list of all the many things I've been working on and all the projects that I continue to do along with my publications. And I love giving talks. So if you ever want me to come and visit your institution, I'm happy to come and give a talk. Um, And I also really enjoy doing workshops to get people to think more creatively about um, talking about death and working through their grief in kind of fun and innovative ways. I really like to do things like um, intersecting food and death and, you know, putting together like recipes that remind you of your loved ones that have passed on and stuff like that. So jessgoller.com, that's me. I absolutely love it. I'm already like cooking up in my head things we can do together, even though like yeah, no, no reason. Just because it would be so much fun. Um, so it would be. I love it. You know, we are so glad to have you on the podcast to share about your academic business. Are there any things that you are looking forward to that you're excited about? Last words you want to make sure to tell, you know, others who are listening to the pod. I, I'm very excited about my next book, which I'm almost done with, um, with MIT. And the tentative title is Augmented, but it will be about death, disability, and technology. And so we're thinking about all kinds of ways of, um, and I, I kind of talk about, I, I wear hearing aids. I'm I'm almost nearly deaf. I'm 90% deaf. So, uh, and I've been deaf my whole life. And so, That's why it's called Augmented, because I'm a cyborg, and I want to talk to you about death from a cyborg's perspective. So I'm very excited about this one, because I really love uh, technology, and there's so many amazing developments in the tech world, especially um, in regards to death and grief. So stay tuned and check out my book. And Candy, just one more thing. What would you say to someone who's listening to this episode who's maybe on the fence? You know, they're an established academic, but maybe they're on the fence about launching their entrepreneurial dream or putting a little bit more focus and muster behind their speaking engagements and formalizing those opportunities. What would you say, especially to other women out there who are listening, who might be on the fence about taking that jump? So I won't lie, it is a little bit of work to make that jump, but I will say Monica and Takia told me all about the tax benefits, and that is true. There are so many tax benefits, uh, and so that's really, I, I wish I had made the jump sooner. That's what I would say, is I wish I had made the jump sooner because I kept putting it off. And it took a little bit of time and it took a little bit of a financial investment, but I completely got it back in my very first year. Um, and, and the tax differential is important. So do it. Don't sit on the fence anymore. Get off the fence. Just so you know, we didn't pay her to say that. No. We didn't pay her to see that. We promise. Yeah, you didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. But it's true. It. 
Thanks, Candy. Of course. I love what you guys are doing. I think this is great. It's such a service that you're giving to other academics. It's really great. Thank you. It's um, a labor of love for us, for sure. But we are absolutely filled up when we get the opportunity to help others with their businesses and also to look at folks like you who have taken the things that we've tried to share and continue to push forward in the business universe. So thank you for hanging with us. Thank you for giving us your time. Thank you so much for being a guest on the pod and for being an advocate for those wonderful values-led businesses where academic women are monetizing our knowledge in today's marketplace. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to BlackAdemicBrainTrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win. Thank you.